I will refer today to the topic of reparation to individuals for gross violations of international human rights law and grave violations of international humanitarian law. Gross violations of international human rights law are serious violations of that uh, body of law. And grave breaches of humanitarian law are those specified under the four Geneva Conventions of 1949, under the additional protocol number one of 1977, the war crimes are specified under Article 8 of the Rome Statute of the International Criminal Court, and other war crimes in international and non-international armed conflicts in customary international humanitarian law. These severe violations are featured increasingly in the practice of states, international organizations, and international tribunals during recent decades, reflecting the evolving status of the individual under international law, especially since World, uh, World War II. However, the availability of international and domestic forums to address violations of individual rights has existed in various forms since, early, since the early 1900s. In this presentation, I will outline the historical developments of the legal status of the individual in international law and the principle of reparation. Next, I will mention examples of state practice of reparation to individuals, both in international human rights law and international humanitarian law. Evidence through legal instruments, jurisprudence, and the practice of mechanisms used internationally and regionally. Finally, this presentation will identify a series of questions concerning the topic of reparations and refer to the need of further codification and progressive development of the law to ensure reparations to individuals who have suffered gross and grave violations of their rights. Traditionally, referring to the individual and international law, international law was exclusively defined as law applicable to the relations between states. The past century, especially after the establishment of the United Nations and subsequent outgrowth of international and re regional institutions, reflects growing interdependence among states in practically every field of human activity. The international community moved from an international law model centered exclusively on the rights and duties of states to a richer landscape, reflecting the complexity of states' obligations including obligations corresponding to the rights of individuals in certain circumstances. Reparation for harm suffered by individuals began as an obligation owed to the state of the individual's nationality for violations by another state based on the minimum standard of treatment to foreign nationals that were prescribed under international law. The minimum standards included, among other rights, due process, principles of legality, and compensation in cases of expropriation or confiscation of property. Under the minimum standard theory, the state was free to decide whether to exercise diplomatic protection on the individual's behalf 
and whether to agree with the content and scope of the reparation with other states. Exceptionally, the individual began, however, to gain access to international justice in the early 1900s. For example, the Central American Court of Justice, created in 1907 in Costa Rica by the Convention of Washington, appears to be the first international tribunal that recognized the procedural capacity of individuals to bring claims against states. Established for 10 years, the court ceased to exist in 1918. During that period, five cases were brought by individuals against foreign governments, but none of those did uh, 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 none of those individuals succeeded. The International Price Court, created during the same year, is another example where individuals could have bought claims against a foreign state. Additionally, Article 297 of the Treaty of Versailles of 1919 provided that the nationals of the Allied and Associate Powers could bring actions against Germany before mixed arbitral tribunals established in conformance with Article 304 of that treaty. There was also a development in the ability of an individual to bring international claims in national courts. In 1928, the Permanent Court of International Justice, in the case concerning jurisdiction of the courts of Danzig, declared that the individual may have the right to bring international claims in national courts. In 1952, after the Second World War, the Supreme Restitution Court was established by the Convention on the Settlement of Matters arising out of the war and the occupation between the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, France, the United States of America, and the Federal Republic of Germany. The court was given jurisdiction over equity claims for the restitution of property seized under the Nazi regime and for the restitution of identifiable property by the victims. Furthermore, the legal subjecthood of the individual is recognized in various international treaties uh, and the validity of such agreement has been confirmed by decision of courts. Under minority protection treaties, States assume international legal obligations to give specific rights to individuals. Examples of such treaties are those entered into Czechoslovakia at that time, Greece, Poland, Romania, and Yugoslavia. The individual also has been discussed in the work of the International Law Commission, the organ in charge of codification and progressive development of international law. Under the topic of state responsibility of international wrongful acts, diplomatic protection, position of the individual in international law, nationality, including statelessness, and protections of persons in the event of disasters. Recently, in the draft articles on crimes against humanity. A crucial development in the topic of reparation occurred in reaction to the crime that took place during the Second World War the international community started a process of protection for individuals now seen as subjects of international law entitled to exercise rights, including the right of reparation. Many of these developments took place through treaties. But the debate exists if some, even if not all, of those developments gave rise to customary norms of international law. I will refer specifically to those issues later on. After this introduction, 
to the development of the individual in international law, showing the ways in which this development has proceeded. Let me refer now to the principle of reparation. It is a principle of international law that any violation of an obligation under international law gives rise to an obligation to make reparation. In 1928, the Permanent Court of International Justice, in the case concerning the factory at Shorso, stated that in the case of a wrongful act, quotation, the reparation must, as far as possible, wipe out all the consequences of the illegal act and reestablish the situation which would, in all probability, have existed if that act had not been committed. Restitution in kind went on the court. If this is not possible, then will be substituted by payment of a sum corresponding to the value which a restitution in kind would bear. The award, if need be, of damages for loss sustained, which would not be carried by restitution in kind of payment in place of it, such are, to mention some, the principles which would serve, says the permanent court, to determine the amount of compensation due for an act contrary to international law. The victim established in, by the Shorso Factory case was widely cited and reaffirmed in numerous judgments by the, then the International Court of Justice that was the successor of the Permanent Court. A more recent case concerned the armed activities on the territory of Congo. The Articles on State Responsibility for International Wrongful Acts adopted in 2001 are largely considered a codification of customary law. And the state's obligation to make reparation is established in Article 31, which largely reflect the principles of reparation from the Shorso Factory case. The Articles uh, of, of uh, state responsibility define the forms of reparation in Article 34. Quotation marks. Full reparation for the injury caused by the International Wrongful Act shall take the form of restitution, compensation, satisfaction, either singly or in combination in accordance with the provision of other articles in that uh, authoritative statement by the International Law Commission. In the ILC, the International Law Commission, early work on the Article of the State Responsibilities is recognized the importance of reparation to individuals. The other norms that I mentioned refer to reparations between states. However, it was recognized that something was pending here. In his first report in 1956, the first special rapporteur for the topic, Mr. Garcia Amador, emphasize the right of an individual cap, individual's capacity to bring claims against the state. Mr. Garcia Amador focused his six reports on responsibility of the states for injuries caused in the territory to the personal pro property of aliens. But the, and the reports continually reference to the rights of individuals. His uh, work contributed greatly to the ILCs, the International Law Commission, Articles on Diplomatic Protection, adopted in 2006. The Articles on State Responsibility, adopted in 2001, 
in its Article 33, address the scope of international obligation. And they refer to states, but in paragraph 2, they state, quotation, this part is without prejudice to any right arising from the international responsibility of a state which may accrue directly to any person or entity other than a state, end quote. So this paragraph leaves open the possibility that reparation may be owed directly to individuals. The same thing is stated in the authoritative commentary on Article 33 that illustrates that the ILC retained the possibility of reparation to individuals for violation of international law as a pending matter. The commentary also discuss the individual's capacity to bring a claim, not only the right of individual. And uh, let me mention that in 2019, the ILC approved unanimously to incorporate the topic in the, uh, in the long-term uh, long program of work. Uh, for the selection in the long-term uh, program of work, the commission is guided by criteria like uh, the topic should reflect the needs of states in respect of the progressive development and codification of international law, should be at a sufficiently advanced stage in terms of state practice, should be concrete and feasible, and that the commission should not restrict itself away to traditional topics. So it has been incorporated in the long-term program, and uh, the commission is, of course, uh, will decide whether to act and put it in the uh, current program of work. The individual right to reparation also have seen development in the International Court of Justice, in this case, in relationship with the responsibility of states. In the case of Ahamadou Sadio Diallo the, uh, the uh, concerning the Republic of Guinea, in exercising diplomatic protection over its national, Hamadou Sadio Diallo brought claims of human rights violations committed by the Democratic Republic of Congo. The court found that the Democratic Republic of Congo breached its obligations under different treaties, including the International Covenant on Civil and Political Rights. In its decision on compensation, the court stated, quote, that the sum awarded to Guinea in the exercise of diplomatic protection on Mr. Diallo is intended to provide reparation for the later injury. The idea that the reparation was owed to Mr. Diallo as a victim was reiterated by then Judge Greenwood. This is a very important uh, development. Uh, concerning this because under diplomatic protection it was a right of the state to decide what to do with the sum eventually awarded. Uh, in the separate opinion by Judge Kansao Trindae, he also knows that, quote, the reparations are owed by the responsible state concerning to the individuals victimized. He continues further to declare the individual right of reparation is well established in international human rights law. International human rights law and international humanitarian law have embraced the principle of reparation and even expanded traditional mechanisms of reparation in response to the nature of the violation with which each branch of law sustains.
Individuals have exercised and are exercising the right before international judicial or semi-judicial bodies. And such practice in those areas include various instruments, such as guiding principles, treaties, and jurisprudence from judicial and semi-judicial bodies. In the international system, access to justice can be sought by individuals in UN human rights treaties bodies directly, regional courts such as the Inter-American Court of Human Rights, the European Court of Human Rights, and the African Court of Human and Principal Rights, or in other systems. Ad hoc uh, arrangement. The treatment of reparation to this to individuals in this system is extensive, yet varied, and would benefit from the establishment of international standards that have developed through a rich practice. One of the most relevant document, documents is the basic principles and guidelines on the right to a remedy and reparation for victims of gross violations of international human rights law and serious violations of international humanitarian law, the so-called basic principles, which was adopted by the General Assembly in 2005. Principle 2C requires states to ensure the domestic, that their domestic law is consistent with their international legal obligation by, quote, making available adequate, effective, prompt, and appropriate remedies, including reparation, end quote. Furthermore, principle 3D of that norm outlines that the obligation to respect, ensure respect for, and implement international human rights law and international humanitarian law as provided for under the respective bodies of law includes inter alia the duty to, to provide effective remedies to victims, including reparation. Principle 11 outlines what a victim's right to remedies entails. Remedies for gross violations of international human rights law and serious violations of international humanitarian law include the victim's right to the following as provided for under international law. A. Equal and effective access to justice. B. Adequate, effective and prompt reparation for harm suffered. And C access to relevant information concerning violations and reparation mechanisms. The basic principles were adopted by the General Assembly without a vote. The value of the United Nations resolution has been ascertained as not creating law per se, but they are a stage in the development of the law and can create uh, or a moment or uh, can create uh, are a phase in the uh, in providing normative value uh, to uh, their content. It's interesting also to look at the way in which uh, these uh, principles were adopted. They were not controversial and received considerable support by states of varying legal tradition. Before being referred to a General Assembly, the basic principles were adopted by the Commission on Human Rights by an overwhelming majority in favor 
and none opposed, 14 favor, 0 against, and 13 abstention. States in favor of the basic principles include Brazil, China, Finland, Japan, Kenya, Mexico, Peru, Romania, the Russian Federation, South Africa, and the United Kingdom. Notably, the United Kingdom stated that it was pleased to co-sponsor the basic principles after 15 years of work. The UK noted that the basic principles did not create new obligations for states under international law, but were nonetheless an extremely valuable tool for states as part of their policy making on remedies and redress. States that abstain including Egypt, Germany, India, Qatar, and the United States. The United States delegation indicated that it was in favor of the text as a whole and appreciated its importance, but abstained because the paragraph referring to International Criminal Court was not sufficiently neutral in its uh, formulation. The summary record of the 57th meeting of the Commission for Human Rights recorded Germany perspective where the delegation noted that the German government recognized the need for an effective remedy and reparation for victims of gross human rights violations and their families and had participated actively in the drafting of the basic principles and guidelines on the right to a remedy and reparation for victims of violations of international human rights and humanitarian law. The extent of reparations awarded by Germany to victims of Nazi persecution was without precedent and the issue of reparations remained high on his government political agenda." End quote of the statement by Germany. The German delegation uh, deeply regret having to abstain because of concerns that the basic principle did not adequately differentiate between human rights law and international humanitarian law. These uh, concerns like this precisely could be further taken care of with further development of the law in this area, making the proper distinction when it's necessary. After being established some uh, interesting developments at the level of the UN, in particular the basic principle, allow me to refer to current mechanism and practice starting by international humanitarian law and then I will follow with human rights law. Looking uh, closer at instruments that deal specifically with international humanitarian law, there are numerous examples where reparation is owed to individuals. State responsibility and the principle of full reparation for violations of international humanitarian law are recognized in Rule 150 of the customary International Humanitarian Law Rules published by the International Committee of the Red Cross. In the commentary to Rule 150, the ICRC, the International Committee of the Red Cross, discusses reparations sought directly by individuals, noting that, quote, there is an increasing trend in favor of enabling individual victims of violations of international humanitarian law to seek reparation directly from the responsible state, end quote. The commentary cites to Article 33, Paragraph 2, which I mentioned before, 
of the International Law Commission's articles on state responsibility and the corresponding commentary to illustrate that individuals can also claim reparation for, from the responsible state. While certain international humanitarian law agreements, including the Hague, the Hague Convention, the 1949 Geneva Conventions, and the two additional protocols to the Geneva Conventions, do not explicitly mention a right for individuals to receive reparations for violations of international humanitarian law, these instruments do recognize obligations upon states to pay compensation for such uh, violations. This obligation is implicit in the articles in all four Geneva Conventions, providing that states cannot absolve themselves or another high contracting party of any liability incurred in respect of grave breaches. Furthermore, Article 68 of the Third Geneva Convention addresses claim for compensation by prisoners of war in respect to harm inflicted during internment and provides that claim for such compensation shall be referred to the power on which the prisoner depends. Additionally, Article 3 of the Eighth Convention respecting the laws and custom of war on land requires, requires states' parties to pay compensation for violations of the Convention. A similar provision is also found in Article 91 of the First Additional Protocol of 8 June 1977 to the Geneva Conventions, which, uh, which, which references responsibility in the form of compensation. Evidence exists that both at that time of drafting and since the individual victims have been understood to be the ultimate beneficiaries of such compensation, even if such compensation is possibly only accessible through the state of nationality. As I mentioned before, one is the obligation to pay compensation to individuals. The other topic is whether the individual directly can accede to that. But there have been movements in the direction that even when a state exercises diplomatic protection on behalf of the individual, as I mentioned in the dialogue case, there is a duty to provide that amount received to the uh, individual's affect. It's interesting that Josh Yusuf of the International Court of Justice elaborated further on uh, 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 in these matters in his dissenting opinion in the case of jurisdictional immunities of the state, Germany versus Italy, Greece intervening, noting that the court's application of the law of jurisdictional immunity was flawed for not adequately considering the facts of the case before it and for its failure to balance the function of immunity with the need for somehow obtaining justice for the victim. Uh, interesting is, however, to know that this type of issue raises again the need for further development and clarification of the uh, law in this matter. The obligation of reparation to individuals is also found in more recent international humanitarian law treaties. 
For example, the 1997 Convention on the Prohibition of the Use, Stockpiling, Production, and Transfer of Anti-Personnel Mines and on their destruction only obliged states' parties to provide assistance for the care and rehabilitation and social and economic reintegration of mine victims and for mine awareness programs. This commitment to addressing the needs of anti-personal mine victims is further expanded in the Cartagena Action Plan of 2010-2014. The obligation of victim assistance is also found in the 2008 Convention on Clustered Munitions. Article uh, uh, 5 of the Convention requires each state party to adequately provide reparation to clustered munition victims. And very important, such reparation is to be age and gender sensitive, reflecting developments in that area concerning vulnerable populations. As mentioned in the historic remarks on my presentation on the evolution of the law in this matter, traditional reparation for violations of international law have been made between states, including violations of international humanitarian law. In many peace treaties, however, there is a provision where the injured state typically receives a lump sum payment from the wrongdoing state to administer to its national affected by the violations of international law. That meant even when states were the actor, the presence of the individual could not be denied and had to be taken into account. For example, the 1951 Treaty of Peace between the Allied Powers and Japan contained a provision regarding reparation for injured prisoners of war that was intended to be be the full and final settlement between Japan and individual victims. Furthermore, following the Second World War, Germany paid sizable compensations to individuals for Nazi era crime. The German-Israeli reparation program is the largest, most comprehensive reparation program ever implemented. States also have implemented reparation program internally for violations of international humanitarian law or what could be considered international humanitarian law, uh, another principle against their own citizens. After World War II, the United States eventually paid individual reparation to surviving Japanese-American internees. Uh, Germany uh, implemented reparation program uh, who were subject to forced slave labor as well as for individuals who suffered other personal injuries. Further, state practice for reparation to individuals uh, for international humanitarian law can be seen in various peace treaties. The General Framework Agreement for Peace in Bosnia and Herzegovina, the Dayton Accords, the peace agreement that concluded the Eritrea, at that time, Ethiopia conflict in December 2000, the United Nations Compensation Commission, UNCC, created in 1991 as a subsidiary organ of the UN Security Council to have jurisdiction over violations of international law resulting from Iraq's unlawful invasion of Kuwait also is an example of a unique and massive reparation program to deal with the aftermath of Iraq's unlawful invasion of Kuwait. And 
the UNCC was established to process claim and compensation for loss, damage, or injury suffered by individuals as a direct result of Iraq's invasion, occupation of Iraq. Over 2.5 million claims were received. The United Nations General Assembly has also made it clear that reparation may be owed to individuals for violation of international humanitarian law. In two resolutions, for example, concerning the former Yugoslavia that recognized, quote, the right of victims of ethnic cleansing to receive just reparation for their losses and uh, the General Assembly urged all parties to fulfill their agreement uh, agreements to this end. One of the challenges, however, for the victims of international humanitarian law violations is that there is no specialized forum for them to bring claims for these violations against the responsible state. However, these victims often bring claims before international human rights law organs. Interpreting international humanitarian law norms within the norms of international law, finding them in provisions involving human rights. As everyone knows, international humanitarian law is, has two branches, the conduct of military operations and what you do with those who took part in the hostility, surrendered, uh, were wounded, uh, did not take place, as I said before, in the hostility. And some of these uh, norms are relevant for the purposes of interpreting norms within the human rights norms. Uh, examples we find in the Inter-American Commission on Human Rights, the Inter-American Court of Human Rights, the European Court, the African Commission uh, on Human Rights and People's Rights. In such, in different cases, the human rights mechanism uh, uh, typically first determine whether international humanitarian law applies in the context and then in cases where international humanitarian law is applicable, they use international humanitarian law to interpret the state's international human rights law obligation. So even if those human rights supervisory organs and norms are not directly awarding reparations for violations of international humanitarian law, and uh, uh, they uh, resort to international humanitarian law as a way to provide compensation on the basis of human rights treaties. An example in the Inter-American system uh, is uh, the Inter-American Commission's decision in Jose Isabel Salas Galindo and others versus the United States, where the Commission found that the United States failed its obligation under the American Declaration as interpreted in light of the principles and rules of international humanitarian law and ordered the United States to make full reparation. So I referred to the developments of international humanitarian law, how rights, uh, uh, duties, better than that, to pay compensation have been established, but have referred 
the shortcomings in terms of the organ where the individual can go directly to ask for reparation. Now let me turn to the human rights law directly. There are numerous instruments that recognize the right to reparation to individuals for violations of international human rights law. The United Nations General Assembly adopted the Universal Declaration of Human Rights in 1948 without opposition. It was drafted as a common standard of achievement for all people uh, and nations. Article 8 provides, quote, everyone has the right to an effective remedy by the competent national tribunals for acts violating the fundamental rights granted him by the Constitution or by law. In 1995, the United uh, Nations General Assembly adopted the Declaration of Basic Principles of Justice for Victims of Crime and Abuse of Power Without a Vote, under Part B, Victims of Abuse of Power, uh, let me say, Principle 19, establishes the rights of individuals uh, and uh, that uh, restitution to remains and that such remains include restitution and of compensation and necessary material, medical, psychological and social assistance and support. The International Convention on the Elimination of All Forms of Racial Discrimination entered into force in 1969, establishing also in Article 6 the right to reparation and access to justice by individuals. In 1976, the International Covenant on Civil and Political Rights entered into force, and uh, Article 2, Paragraph 3 of the ICCPR obliged the state parties, quote, to ensure that any person whose rights or freedom has herein recognized are violated shall have an effective remedy notwithstanding that the violation has been committed by persons acting in an official capacity. To ensure that any person claiming such a remedy shall have his right thereto determined by competent judicial, administrative, or legislative authorities, or by any other competent authority provided for by the legal system of the state, and, the develop, and to develop the possibilities of judicial remedy. C, to ensure that the competent authority shall enforce such remedy when granted. You see then, the rights of the individual, the access to the individual and the incorporation into, in a, a, a progressive way, into national legislation. The Human Rights Committee, which is the supervisory organ in charge of this uh, convention has stated that each right protected under the ICCPR should be read in conjunction with Article 2, Paragraph 3, emphasizing the importance of an effective remedy. The general comment number 20 of that body, supervisory body, elaborates on Article 7 of the ICCPR and recommends states the party report on the remedies available to victims of maltreatment and the procedure that complainant must follow. In addition, in Rodriguez versus Uruguay, 
this uh, Human Rights Committee recommended the state to take effective measures to carry out an official investigation into the author's allegations of torture in order to identify the persons responsible for torture and treatment and to enable the author to seek civil redress, to grant appropriate compensation to Mr. Rodriguez and to ensure that similar violations do not occur in the future. Adding to the list of uh, treaties, it's important to mention the Convention Against Torture and other cruel, inhuman, or degrading treatment or punishment that entered into force in 1987. Article 14 of the Convention establishes the, that uh, each state party shall ensure in its legal system that the victim of an act of torture obtain redress and has an enforceable right to fair and adequate compensation, including the means for as full rehabilitation as possible. General comment number three. General comments are the way to interpret the provisions done by these uh, treaty bodies and uh, assisting then state parties and uh, potential uh, uh, individuals that claim that they are victims. Uh, and then this general comment three provides greater detail regarding implementation of uh, this of uh, of uh, the reparation. Paragraph two clarifies that redress encompasses the concept of effective remedy and reparation, which is this twin requirements that ensure that individuals themselves could have access to reparation. It further states that comprehensive reparative concept therefore entails restitution, compensation, rehabilitation, satisfaction, and guarantees of non-repetition, and refers to a full scope of measures required to redress violations under the Convention. I will refer to the General Comment 3 for the definition of all those terms. They, this uh, General comment uh, is available in the website uh, of the uh, Committee Against uh, Torture and provides an uh, excellent definition of the content of those uh, obligations towards uh, victims of human rights. Article 22 of the, of the Convention Against Torture establishes also the possibilities of an individual complaining to the committee itself when the states have accepted that. Uh, it's interesting in this uh, way to see, and there are numerous decisions, the committees against torture decision in the Majal and others versus Yugoslavia in 2002, where the committee held that the positive obligation that flow from, in this case, Article 16 of the Convention, not only torture, but also in human treatment, other forms of inhuman, uh, uh, cruel, or degrading treatment punishment, include an obligation to grant redress and compensate the victim of an act in breach of that provision. The International Protection Convention for the Protection of All Persons from Enforced Disappearance says that entered into foreign 2010, also Article uh, 24, uh, refers to the uh, reparations 
different terms are, are used, redress, reparation, and so forth. And again, further working on this topic it will uh, necessitate, perhaps, uh, showing that these terms are pretty uh, similar and to a certain extent are used interchangeable. Another significant document is the United Nations Principles on Housing and Property Restitution for Refugees and Displaced Persons, which states that all refugees and displaced persons have the right to have restored to them any housing, land, and or property for which they were arbitrarily deprived or to be compensated for any housing, land, and or property that is factually impossible to restore as determined by independent international tribunal. These principles were adopted by the UN Subcommission on the Protection and Promotion of Human Rights in August 2005. The ILC uh, 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 draft statute for the International Criminal Court, which was understood at that time to be a codification of customary international law in its Article 47, Paragraph 3, B and C address the forms that reparation for victims of an international crime under the statute might take. Under that article, reparation could include fines that might be transferred by order of the court to a state of which the nationals were victims of the crime and or a trust fund established by the Secretary General of the United Nations for the victims, for the benefit of victims of crimes. Paragraph 3 and 4 of the commentary note that there was debate among members regarding the court's role to return property and ultimately members decided that it was better left for civil courts. However, paragraph 3b and 3c were retained and the commentary noted, although a reflection of concerns for victims of crimes, paragraph 3b and 3c are not intended in any way to substitute for reparation or to prevent any action which victims may take to obtain reparation to, through other courts or on the international plane. Most recently, the individual right of reparation was acknowledged in the International Law Commission draft articles on crimes against humanity, establishing that each stage shall take the necessary measures to ensure in its legal system that the victims of a crime against humanity have the right to obtain reparation for material and moral damages on an individual or collective basic, basis consisting as appropriate of one or more of the following or other forms of or other forms restitution, compensation, satisfaction, rehabilitation, cessation and guarantees of non repetition. Regional human rights treaties and jurisprudence also have acknowledged the individual rights to reparation of international law. In the Inter-American system, reparations are refer, re, re, referenced in the American Convention on Human Rights, Article 63. The Inter-American Convention on the Prevention, Punishment and Eradication of Violence Against Women, Convention of Belén do Pará. Article 7, the American Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples in Article 30 and 33, and the Inter-American Convention on Protecting the Human Rights of Older Persons in Article 9. Uh, these treaties use terms such as remedy for compensation, restitution, reparation, 
judicial remedies, and so forth, or in combination. The Inter-American Court of Human Rights typically orders a wide range of reparation in its decision driven by the ideology of full uh, reparation. In applying Article 63 of the American Convention, the Inter-American Court has stated, quote, that any violation of an international obligation that has caused harm entails the obligation to make adequate reparation and that this provision reflects a customary norm that constitutes one of the fundamental principles of contemporary international law on state responsibility. Uh, further on, when full restitution is not possible, uh, in case of most human rights violations, uh, the court has found it necessary to award different measures of reparation in order to redress the damage fully, so that in addition to pecuniary compensation, measures of restitution, rehabilitation, satisfaction, guarantees of non-repetition has been uh, ordered because of the special nature of human rights violation. Uh, let me uh, mention a couple of cases uh, that, that is interesting to see and uh, they provide a view as to examples uh, of measures of non-repetition by changing laws, uh, housing for individual harm, uh, scholarships, monuments and so forth. In this respect, it's interesting to see the street children case Villagran Morales et al. versus Guatemala. And uh, 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 there are a long list of cases the Inter-American system has developed them all. And I refer to a web page of the Inter-American court, which is very proper to see the jurisprudence of the court. The, uh, it's interesting and um, worthwhile mentioning the Inter-American system recognizes the right of individual petition in cases of alleged human rights violation just by ratifying the American Convention, uh, the Charter of the Organization of American States. Uh, uh, automatically, there is a right to individual petition and uh, just by ratifying the American Convention on Human Rights. Just Kansao Trindade has noted that this right is a fundamental clause of the American Convention on Human Rights as well as other human rights treaties that call for it. The European human rights system reference various forms of reparation, for example, in Articles 13 and 41 of the European Convention, Article 3 of the Protocol Number 7 to the Convention for the Protection of Human Rights and Fundamental Freedom. Chapter 7, Article 24 of the Convention for the Protection of Human Rights and Dignity of the Human Being with regard to the application of biology and medicine. The Convention on Human Rights and Biomedicine. Chapter 5, Article 29, Paragraph 2 of the Council of Europe Convention on Preventing and Combating Violence Against Women and Domestic Violence. The European Convention entered into force in 1953. It was the first instrument to give, give effect to certain of the rights stated in the Universal Declaration and make them binding. The right to an effective remedy is established in Article 13. In the case of Asanitse versus Georgia in 2004, the European Court on Human Rights 
stated, for example, that a judgment in which it finds a breach imposes on the respondent state a legal obligation under Article 46 of the European Convention on Human Rights to put an end to a breach and to make reparation for its consequences in just a way as to restore as fast as possible the situation existing before the breach. When assessing whether to award reparation, the European Court uses a three-pronged trust. The contracted state must be found to have violated the European Convention on Human Rights Obligations. The plaintiff must have suffered an injury, a material or moral damage, and the court must deem it necessary to afford such satisfaction. Traditionally, the European Court interprets its competence to award just satisfaction under Article 41 of the European Court as limited to monetary compensation for the damages suffered and on legal cost, in contrast with the Inter-American system who gives a full compensation, a, a full uh, measures of redress and, and, and reparation. In the African system of human rights, the African Charter of Human and People's Rights outlines the state obligations Article 1, which has been recognized to include the victim's right to a remedy. The African Court on Human and People's Rights derives its authority from Article 27 of the 1998 Protocol establishing the Court, providing that if the Court finds that there has been a violation of a human or people's right, it shall make appropriate orders to remedy violation, including the payment of fair compensation of reparation. Although the jurisprudence in the African system is recently, because it was la later uh, developed, uh, adopted, uh, uh, the court has established a trend toward, a clear trend towards awarding reparation to individuals. In Malawi, African Association and others versus Mauritania, the, in the year 2000, the court recommended reparation. Later, in Metiquila versus Tanzania, 2013, uh, the court recognized its power to award reparation for human rights violations, but did not do so due to inadequate evidence. At that point, finally, in Songo and others versus Burkina Faso, 2015, the court ordered reparation for applicants for the first time in the court's history, including measures of satisfaction and guarantees of non-repetition. The court relied heavily on decisions from the Inter-American Court on Human Rights and the Articles on State Responsibility of the International Law Commission in establishing authority to issue reparation. The African human rights system also recognized the right to reparation for individuals in other documents, such as the Rowan Island Guidelines and the General Comment Number Four, uh, General Comment uh, Number Four of the African Convention. The Rowan Islands Guidelines of 2002 outlined the state's obligation to a victim of torture and other cruel human rights treatment. In, Article 50. More recently, in 2017, the General Comment Number 4 uh, to, to the African Convention prescribed that the right to redress encompasses the right to an effective remedy and to adequate, effective, and comprehensive reparation. 
and reparation includes restitution, compensation, rehabilitation, satisfaction, including the right to the truth and guarantees of non-repetition. The Inter-American system in the African system both take more of a prescriptive or inclusive victim-based approach, while the European system gives larger difference to the state held liable in deciding the type of reparation owed to the individual. There's another reason for the further development of the topic to see whether it's feasible and convenient uh, to, to achieve an overall view of the topic of reparation in international law. It's important also to mention that internally states have adopted norms involving reparations for violations of human rights. Example, un ex, some examples of this have been the, the United States Alien Tort Claims Act, which opened U.S. federal courts to suits by aliens for tort, torts in violation of the law of nation. Chile and Argentina both provided compensation, rehabilitation, and services to the victim of dictatorships. Colombia has adopted norms uh, involving reparations. Uh, there are uh, Number, uh, truth commissions established, in particular in Latin America and Africa, uh, with the providing and rich and extensive practice in these areas. South Africa, Guatemala, El Salvador, Haiti, Panama have re recommended extensive reparation programs. And the truth commissions have demonstrated that reparation resulted from legal obligation. And this rich practice is another source for the de further development in this area. Malawi implemented a reparation program focused on individual arms. Uh, I'm not going to mention the rich uh, variety of, uh, uh, of truth commission, and uh, uh, but uh, the, the point is that they add uh, to a substantial body that has been developed. Uh, the topic here now is the following. While we have established these rights and, if, and obligations and access to justice for individuals, issues remain that are important to identify for the purposes of achieving a comprehensive right to reparation that takes into account the different topics that are needed. As I have demonstrated, or I hope I have demonstrated, important state practice has developed regarding the right of the individual to reparation for violations of international human rights law and international humanitarian law. The right of the individual to reparation and the duty of the state to make reparation is evidenced through custom, treaties, guiding principles, general comments, the commentary of the International Law Commission, judicial and semi-judicial decisions, United Nations organs, general assembly resolutions, decisions by the International Court of Justice. I have not covered all the topics that are possible in a relative brief presentation. But while subst a substantial body of law has developed, important issues remain. Let me mention some examples. There are different forms of reparation. 
restitution, compensation, satisfaction, guarantees of non-repetition. How are these forms defined? What role does rehabilitation play? And is it distinct from restitution or satisfaction? Many forms include one action and satisfaction is achieved. In rehabilitation, rehabilitation most often than not is required all the life. When do the various forms of reparation cease to exist? Are they always cumulative? What role does the principle of proportionality have in considering the gravity of the violations committed against victims and the amount and type of reparation awarded? The 2006 International Convention for the Protection of All Persons from Enforced Disappearance indicates that the right to reparation covers material and moral damages, which might consist of forms of reparation other than compensation where appropriate. The basic principles capture redress in a comprehensive sense, stating that victims should be provided with full and effective reparation as appropriate and proportional to the gravity of the violation and taking into account individual circumstances. The Inter-American system routinely awards comprehensive reparation. The African Court on Human Rights has developed jurisprudence in the same direction. Further study would clarify the extent that individual circumstances should be considered in awarding reparation, perhaps including consideration of the local economic situation. Is that legitimate, not legitimate? I'm not prejudging any situation. I'm mentioning the issues that are at stake in this field. Furthermore, and for some, those issues are not at stake, and for others, there are. There's an issue at stake. So that's why it's important further clarification. Furthermore, what effect does the content of reparation have on societies in transition? When reparation is properly ordered and implemented, it serves a transformative purpose. In the Inter-American system, is mentioned truth, justice, and reconciliation uh, with the hope that uh, this uh, could be achieved to unify uh, societies. Uh, repairing social bonds and lost trust between the state, victim, and community. To what extent have we developed enough the instruments that achieve that purposes? Transitional justice mechanisms have included a number of victim-oriented reparation measures including psychosocial rehabilitation, interim reparation, and victim participation in community reconciliation processes. Professor Sheriff Basuni emphasized the lasting effect of reparation, uh, uh, that the lasting uh, reparation has on both the individual and the society, stating that perhaps the most important goal of this process is the rehumanization of victims and the restoration as functioning members of society. Achieving these restorative goals is fundamental to both the peace and security of any state, since it eliminates the potential of future revenge and any secondary victimization that might result from initial violation." End quotation, Professor Bassioni.
Identifying the relationship between the content of reparation and successful transitional justice would provide guidance for ensuring that reparation fully and effectively redress the specific needs of victims and society. To what extent are cessation of the violations and guarantees of non-repetition distinct from other forms of reparation, namely restitution and satisfaction, such that they are not subject to the principle of proportionality in a transitional justice context? What role does the invalidation of amnesty law plays in conflict resolution and peacemaking? Do amnesty laws make it impossible to obtain reparation for gross violations of international human rights law and international humanitarian law against a responsible state and individual perpetrators in practice, I mean. Further, under which conditions do victims have the right to receive reparation independently of pursuing a criminal prosecution? Procedural questions arise when determining where an individual's rights are to be exercised. Could they be exercised in domestic setting as well as in other judiciaries before international tribunal or through diplomatic protection if diplomatic protection will take into account their own damage? What are the interrelationships among proceedings before various fora? Is there a possibility for collective action? Similarly, are there evidentiary and procedural requirements that must be overcome? such as the need to exhaust local remains, the scope of the jurisdiction of other domestic courts, res judicata, status of limitation, amnesties, immunity. When a state takes up a claim for reparation on an individual's behalf through the exercise of diplomatic protection, does the state discretion as to the handling of the case uh, continues the uh, let me say, without any further development, as I mentioned before, as a result of the dialogue case, does the winning state have an obligation to assure that the victims get reparation in practice? The notion of victim raises several questions. What are the criteria to establish the status of victim? Who is the victim? Persons who have individually or collective suffered harm through acts and omissions of certain violations of international law in what situation should the term victim also include other affected family or dependence of the victim? What constitutes arms? And the rights are state free to determine who are the victims or international law established already the condition of victims. I have mentioned some of the topics that are uh, required a further study. When further development of the law is necessary, there are possibilities to do that jurisprudentially, piecemeal, and let the work of international law co uh, continue in this matter. But it's possible also to assess the possibilities of a comprehensive look at the topic. And this is a, a question that defies an easy answer, but the extension, the importance, the rich developments that have taken place uh, together perhaps uh, support or make more persuasive the need of a comprehensive, at least study of this topic to see how 
it could be facilitated its further development. Let me finish by saying that the concept of reparation has been addressed in numerous international instruments using different terms, but establishing, notwithstanding that, the variety of means of reparation and the need to achieve justice. Remaining issues, uh, such as those I mentioned, for some there is not uniformity in assessing even whether some of these issues for certain authors, while others deny this, and a different practice in certain uh, areas. Uh, however, cannot question the idea that there is a common core of principles that could be recognized that do not question the need to repair a violation and take into account the interests of those who suffer the harm as well as the need to prevent the recurrence. There is a need on the basis of the issues that I have raised to further codification and progressive development of these practices and norms to provide guidance to international community for the scope of the principles, contents, and procedures related to reparations owed to individuals for violations of international law. As all essential topics, the topic is not an issue in itself. Reparation is not only about reparation, but it's also about the rule of law and its relevance to address essential matters facing society. Thank you very much.